morning once again. Good morning, everybody. Greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I hope I said that correctly. After seven years, I should get it right. Welcome, everybody, to the Power Hour. Please don't be alarmed. I know you can see seats are empty. Uh, people are texting me, Pastor, we're on the way. We're stuck in traffic. I said to them, make sure the traffic doesn't take you to the stadium. Come to Pacific Place <laughs> to worship the Lord. As always, the tradition doesn't stop, especially in the month of February. Look at somebody seated close to you and tell them God loves you, and so do I. If somebody is seated without somebody close to them, reach out to them. One more time, God loves you, and so do I. Okay, there's a saying that goes, the emptier the can, the more noise it makes. I've never been of the assumption that people say amen because the room is full. So I expect more energy from you as I'm giving you. Amen? Amen. I like that. We are dealing with part two. Last week, I was working with less time than I wanted to. But today, Pastor H has made sure that I have all the time that I need. I am continuing the message from last week today. And the message is Disruptor or Troubler, part two. We are going this quarter dealing with this word disruption. Because we've discovered that it is the people who have learned to make changes in their life that are painful, that are difficult, that cause you to question yourself sometimes. Ever gone on a diet or tried to exercise and you want to quit? I, I have a neighbor who is, uh, he's a Korean young man, and we always meet each other in the elevator, dressed up for the gym. And so I asked him, why do you like to work out in the apartment gym. And he said to me, because it's closer to my place, I don't have to go somewhere. But he said, right now, the problem is the gym is full. So I said to him, don't worry. The gym is full because it's still the beginning of the year. When Easter comes, when Jesus dies, so do the resolutions. Because disrupting yourself is hard. But when you've learned to disrupt your life in ways that begin to affect other people, that is what we call disruptive living. We introduced a character last week by the name of Elijah. We are not told about his childhood. We are not told about his upbringing. In fact, there's more information about David than there is about Elijah. The moment Elijah steps into the scene, he is causing disruption. We read the story. Today, we will continue. But before I get into the message, I want to share something I discovered this week. There's a word that says mutualism. Mutualism is simply the idea that two species, different from each other, operate in the same environment and benefit each other. It could be called symbiosis or mutualism. Let me give you some examples that you might already know. What you see on the back of the zebra is the ox pecker sometimes red-billed bird, that sits atop antelope, buffalo, zebra. And what the ox pecker does is it eats off the parasites and different insects that may cause infection to the animal. At the same time, it provides the bird with sustenance. That's called mutualism, where a small animal, or same size, benefits from another of a different species. Another example that people may relate with. 
That's Nemo, AKA the clownfish. The clownfish is the only fish that can live inside, let me see if I can say this word, anemone. I got it correct. Those tentacle things you see though, that's called anemone. And so the clownfish is able to live there because its body produces mucus that protects it from the sting. If you touch anemone, you will be stung. But the clownfish has a mucus that protects it against being stung. But at the same time, it also eats parasites. And whenever it eats and defecates, the anemone gets its nutrients from Nemo's feces. Mutualism. One more. Bees and flowers. You know how the birds and, no, not the birds and the bees, that's a different conversation. How <laughs> I'm a dad, I'm preparing myself. Uh, birds, birds, bees and flowers. Bees take pollen and nectar from flowers for sustenance to make honey, but also because flowers are stationary, they can't move. The bees help the flowers propagate and spread. What's the word? Mutualism. One more example, but not really. This is not mutualism, this is just nasty, but okay, I get it. Some of you love dogs. I follow you on Instagram. No, I troll you on Instagram. I see you with your face in the dog's face, man's best friend and all that kind of stuff, right? The relationship that you have with your pets could be called mutualism if it's a dog. If it's a cat, it's a one-way relationship because cats just don't care about nobody. Mutualism is an interesting idea that we find also in the Bible. One of the most interesting phenomena when you look at the three realms of earth, sky, land, and water, we find God using animals everywhere to do his will. Let's see how much you know your Bible. A prophet is being taken to his assignment by a fish. What is his name? Don't you say a word. Jonah. A prophet is going to the wrong assignment, sitting on a donkey, and an angel comes in front of him. What's his name? That was nice and loud. And then finally, a prophet is uh, uh, on assignment and God is taking care of him using birds. What's his name? Let's go to the Bible. Get your Bibles out. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 17. Last week, we were in chapter 18, but we're going to go to the prequel or the previous chapter and look at the passage of Scripture for today. 1 Kings chapter 17 I'm reading from the ESV. You read from whatever version you feel comfortable with as long as it conveys the message. 1 Kings 17, verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years, except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Kereth, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. And so he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Kereth, that is east of the Jordan, and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. 
and he drank from the brook. Verse number seven. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. The brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. I will read the next part in the middle of the sermon, but for now, I want your attention fixated on this moment in Elijah's life. The Bible says that Elijah steps onto the scene, declares the will of God that the rains would stop for three and a half years. After making the announcement, God knows the character of Ahab and God knows the character of his wife Jezebel. Because the Jezebel spirit has no room for the word of the Lord. And the only way the Jezebel spirit can deal with God's word is to eradicate its messengers. Because if you get rid of the prophet, technically you get rid of the word. But not really. Because God says, if there's no one to speak for me, the rocks will cry out. But God decides to preserve Elijah's life. And so after telling him what to do and what to say, he tells him, Go hide. And the place I want you to go to is known as the Brook Kerith. I know people pronounce it as Cherith, but it's Kerith. It's not Bahasa or English, it's Hebrew. Kerith. And so the Bible says that Elijah goes to the brook. Now, for those that may not know what a brook is, let me start by giving you a comparison. If you think about rivers and streams, they flow into the ocean or into the seas. Streams are tributaries of rivers. Brooks are smaller than streams. In fact, a brook is so small that you can walk in it and cross to the other side. So now it makes sense why he's able to hide because a brook can be in a place that is covered up. Why is God sending Elijah to a brook? Why not hide out in another town or in another place? Well, remember, there is no rain. This man has just announced that it's not going to rain for three and a half years. So God says, because you've been faithful and because you've put your life on the line, I'm going to make sure that you are provided for. And so the Bible says he goes to the brook and while he's by the brook, he makes it his home for a season. Don't miss it, ladies and gentlemen. Disruptive faith is not only about what you can get. Disruptive faith is about what you can trust. I expect you to say, mm, all right, amen, because you're the pastor. You've read the text, you get it. But for some reason, people don't want to hear that faith is not about what you can get, but about what you can do. Ladies and gentlemen, in 2024, in the month of February, God still expects us to live by faith. Not with the things we get and not with abundance, but just simply trusting his word. And so the Bible says that Elijah exercises what I call disruptive faith. He not only prayed for it not to rain for everybody else, but for himself also. He was believing that God would provide for him even though the sky would not provide any dew. But the Bible says something interesting. That not only was his water sure, but his bread would be sure. Now, I'm going to say something that's going to be very disruptive, and I'm happy about that. The Bible says that God chooses to provide for his needs, not with a stock, not with a dove, not with a chicken, not with a turkey, 
Imagine if it was me. If I was in the brook, I want turkey every three days. You, know, you understand? I want turkey to be falling from the sky. But oh no, God, go, God goes in another direction. He sends ravens. Ravens are considered birds that steal. Ravens are called unclean birds in the book of Deuteronomy. God says to his people, don't touch them, don't eat them. Elijah is eating food from raven grab food. They are carrying the bread from their mouth. That bread is not from heaven. These birds have stolen bread from somebody else to bring to the prophet. Are you buying what I'm selling right now? No, I don't think you are. Listen to me. So somebody help me with this thing. Pastor, help me out with this. It's disrupting me right now. Hold on to that. Do you understand that sometimes God will use sinful people to provide for faithful people? I know you think, oh, I'll only take a job from an Adventist. I'll only hire Adventists. No, no, no. When God does what he does, he uses anybody. He will use a drunk to teach you about sobriety. He will use somebody who's been divorced four times to teach you how to love. Amen, somebody. God will use sinners to teach faithful people how to live. Disclaimer. That doesn't mean go out of your way to do bad things to be faithful. Amen. Amen. Yeah, yeah. Don't be like, oh, pastor said it's okay to, to hang out with sinners. That's not what I said. You're not Jesus. The ravens bring food to Elijah. That's amazing. But you must understand that as beautiful as this experience is, it troubles and bothers me. Not because of the ravens, but because God had to use ravens. This man has been faithful. His faithfulness ought to have disrupted Israel to live according to God's will, but instead he's rewarded with a death sentence. So God has to use the unfaithful to do the job of the faithful. Do you know why God had to use ravens? Because all the people of Israel would not have offered him help. You don't believe me? Read the Gospel of Luke. Jesus says that a prophet is not welcome in his own town. God had to use an outsider to help an insider. I'm always concerned when I hear people say amen, when the government is helping people who are sick and helping orphans and helping people in need, helping children who are struggling with, with a lot of issues. But young people would not come to the church because they will not be helped, they'll be judged. So God is using counselors and parents outside and not people inside. So we may say amen to the ravens, but God doesn't need ravens, he needs you. Let's go. And after a while, the brook dried up. Ladies and gentlemen, the brook will always dry up. I know you're praying for a job, but that job is going to end. You will either get fired, the company will close, or you will retire. Bottom line, that job ain't forever. Yes, you prayed for the guy, you prayed for the girl, you got married, but remember the vow says, till death do us apart, one of y'all gonna die. Whatever you're praying for is temporary as long as we live on this earth. I know you want it to be forever. I know that you want to be on a high all the time, but life in this sinful world is ebb and flow, valleys and mountains. It's a roller coaster ride of good times and bad times. Even Elijah, the man of God who prayed that it would not rain, was not immune to the temporary effects of prayer. The brook will dry up. The money will dry up. 
The friends that loved you and were there for you and had your back, all of a sudden, they don't know who you are no more. The phone ain't ringing like it used to. Things are not going the way they did before. One season business is good, the next is not. The brook will dry up. Let me ask a question. What was the miracle in this passage? The brook or the ravens? Take your time. Don't take my time, take your time. What was the miracle? The ravens. The brook was not a miracle. Because the Bible tells us why the brook dried up. Because it wasn't raining. Ladies and gentlemen, here's our struggle as people in this generation. We struggle to know the difference between what is a miracle and what is everyday stuff. What we want is for God to, pro to perform miracles every single day. We want him to part the Red Sea all the time. But I want you to know something. The brook will dry up. But that doesn't mean God doesn't love you. Stay with me. The brook drying up doesn't mean God doesn't love you. I'm going to tell you what it means in a moment. But let me tell you something personal in my life that I want to celebrate right now. We always pray for God to answer prayer the way we want him to. We always want him to intervene because we believe that a sign of faithfulness, uh, a sign of being a Christian is getting what you want. Two weeks ago, on a Monday, we had been concerned about it, but we got the confirmation that my father has prostate cancer. Obviously, as a believer, we're praying that God will heal him. But the doctor just told us what a miracle has already been happening in my father's life. There's a number, doctors here have been helping me understand. When that number, it's called the PCA, PSA, PCA number is four, there's a concern. If it gets to 10, it's a big concern. My father's number is 74. And the doctor said, your father has been living with prostate cancer for many years. He's in his 80s now. So in my mind, I'm talking to my dad. I'm saying, dad, do you realize that we could pray that God heal you, but you've been living a miracle for so many years already. You've had something that should have taken you out, but God has sustained you. The brook has dried, but that doesn't mean that God has left. Listen to the statement. The drying up of the brook doesn't mean that God is moving from you. It means that God wants to move with you. See, sometimes we stay at, at, at dried up brooks, right? We stay at wells that have run out and we're standing there looking at the brook empty and sand and dryness and we're asking, Lord, why me? Wrong question. The right question is, where, Lord? You've dried this up. Where do I go to? This ain't working out no more. Where can I go to? Oh, but no, we, we are stubborn like donkeys. We, we stay where we are and we question God. And God is saying, let's go. I got a single sister in Zarephath who will provide for your needs. So I want to say it again. The brook has dried up. You know what the brook is. You know what it is you're praying for and nothing is happening. Maybe, just maybe it's time to move on. I don't know. I'm not you. God will sometimes trouble the waters because other times he will disrupt their flow. Sometimes he will open the Red Sea. Sometimes he will make the waters shake. Sometimes he will stop them. Why? Because he's trying to say to you, it's time to go. Stop praying for him. Stop praying for her. Stop praying for it. It's time to go. We talked about disrupt, 
disruptive faith that Elijah had. But I also want to talk about disruptive faithfulness. Because faith and faithfulness are not necessarily the same thing. Faith is trusting what God will do for you and through you. But faithfulness is your response to God's goodness. Faithfulness is how you live and lead your life. The Bible introduces us to a woman that we must assume believed in God. This woman is said to live in Zarephath. Zarephath is in the region of Sidon. And the Bible says that God tells Elijah, move from the brook, go to this woman's home, because, look at the text, I have commanded a widow to feed you. If I'm the prophet, I'm assuming that lunch is good. When I arrive at the house, she's going to be like, oh, man of God, God told me that you are coming. I've prepared a feast for you. Please go ahead and partake. But when Elijah gets to a house, things are different. Get your Bibles out one more time. Let's read the text. Remember, we're talking about being a, a disruptive person or living a disruptive life. 1 Kings chapter 17 from verse number 8, we learn about the widow of Zarephath. We don't know her name, but we know how she lived. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and live there. Notice he didn't say go pass by. He said, he said go live there, dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. And so he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, bring me little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And then afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. Ladies and gentlemen, having faith is trusting that God will do things for you and through you. But being faithful is doing things not knowing what lies around the corner. Being faithful is stepping up and doing what others won't do at a time when majority won't do it. The Bible says, Elijah doesn't know this woman's situation. He doesn't know what she has or doesn't have. All he's got is an instruction from God. He gets to her house and he says, can I please have some water to drink? And while she's walking away, notice he didn't start with the bread. He started with water because everybody's got water. And in that region, it was polite to give somebody water to drink. And while she's going, he says, oh, by the way, bring me some bread. She stops. God said, I have commanded her. But she has a response to his request. Man of God, as the Lord in heaven lives, 
All I have right now is enough for me and my son. We are going to eat and then we will die. Because as far as she's concerned, that was the last meal. Stay with me. This is for everybody. When she woke up that morning, whatever God she believed in, she said, may you bless me and my son. May you perform a miracle so that we can get something to keep living. But if not, this is what we will eat and then we will die. Amen. Whatever they say to their God. In response to her prayer for something, God says, give away everything you've got. See, that's not a popular gospel in 2024. We want more, more, more. We don't want less. We want more. And God says, moves upon this woman's heart to say, go ahead and give to the man of God. Now, a person of faith would have heard what Elijah said. Elijah said, don't worry about it. Don't be afraid. Go ahead and cook for me. After that, cook for yourself. What is Elijah saying? That God will provide. Let's go. Another unpopular statement. Faithfulness that operates in the atmosphere of fear, operates in the atmosphere of fear, always triggers God's hand. Faithfulness that operates in the face or atmosphere of fear always triggers the move of God. Faithfulness, the ability to live in spite of what everybody else is doing or saying. Faithfulness, walking that way when everybody else is going that way. Faithfulness, trusting God when you don't have money. Trusting God when there's no love in your life. Trusting God when you've got nothing to offer. When you are at your last dime and God says, good, take that last money and give it to somebody else. That's faithfulness. Believe me, I'm not going to make you say amen. I get it. I'm not about to take food out of my son's mouth to give some prophet who's dressed like a bear, who eats honey and locusts. But this woman chooses to trust God. Again, my concern about this text is simply this. Jesus says there were many widows in Israel, but none of them would have offered Elijah help. But this woman did. Jezebel is a princess of Sidon, which means that a rich princess of Sidon has become the queen of Israel. But instead of God using Jezebel, because by the way, when you come into God's house, you ought to be influenced to become godly. Ruth came in and became one of them. But when Jezebel came in, she disrupted everything. So in order to provide for Elijah, God took him out of Israel, took him to where she came from, went to a woman who had nothing and blessed him through her. You realize that this woman with no name, even though she's not as popular or as wealthy or as chic as Jezebel was, she's more celebrated by Jesus than Jezebel is. Do you want God to say your name, your full name? I mean your government name. Be faithful. And the Bible says your name will be mentioned up in heaven. Let's go. Elijah's provision came from obedience. The widows came from the overflow. Let me stand up here. Elijah's provision came from obedience. The widows came from overflow. Let me explain. Throughout his life from the beginning, Elijah exhibited a spirit of obedience. That is why, spoiler alert, Elijah never died. 
God took him from this earth because from the very beginning of his calling, Elijah never ever questioned God. He was always faithful. There was a moment he had a nervous breakdown and suffered depression. We'll talk about that. But throughout his life, he was so faithful that God said, you are too good for this earth. Elijah was blessed because of obedience. But this woman was blessed from the overflow. Let me explain it. If you take a glass of water and it's full, God says, I don't want you to drink what's in the glass. I want you to bring the little bit of water you have, pour it inside, and whatever falls over, that's for you. But here's what I'm going to do for you. If you bring the little you have and pour it once and you've got nothing, I'll keep pouring so the overflow never runs out. See, that's something that, again, I don't expect an amen to because we're not used to that. Here's what we're used to. Show me, Pastor. Don't give from abundance, receive from it. Don't give from abundance, receive from it. Here's what we all say. Here's your reality. It's all you've got. But here's what you want. Everybody wants abundance. I don't care how religious you are. I don't care how much you say money is the root of all evil. Everybody wants this. But here's where you live. God never asked you to give from this. God asked you to give from that. And when you give from that, guess what you have access to? This. This, ladies and gentlemen, is something that can only be done by faith. There's nothing I can say to convince you. Only the Holy Spirit can convict you to give from your reality to expect abundance. So the statement says, don't wait to have plenty, give what you have. Because if you earn a million rupiah and God says, give me a hundred thousand, a lot of people can do that. But if God gives you a billion and says, okay, give me a hundred million, Ah, Lord, see, the thing is, I want to build a church in 2030, but right now I want to put it in investments so that it's more money. And what does God do? He starts to take away at the bottom of the barrel. And when 2030 comes, you're back to praying, Lord, please bless me. I made a mistake. Go back to the previous slide. I I, I need you to understand something. I'm not suggesting that when the woman made the, the, the meal for Elijah, that God filled up the battle to the top. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says every time she went to the battle, there was enough to make one more meal. Mic check. Mic check. Is, is it on? Okay, so I thought I said something that you guys didn't hear. God never filled it up. Every time she went to the battle and she took out, it was empty again. But when she woke up in the morning and went to the battle, there was enough for another meal. When she went at lunchtime, there was enough for another meal. All she had to do was believe and keep going. What we do, we pray once and then we wait. And when nothing happens, oh well, fortune teller, stars of the zodiac, friends, rich people, we don't trust God. She kept going to the battle until the rain started falling. Then the battle went empty because now the rain has come. You don't need the battle no more. Stop getting stuck on what you prayed for in 1995. It's over. It's past. Yes, you graduated with summa cum laude. Good for you. Now it's time to get a job. When you get the job, now hustle and do the job. When the promotion comes, do your best. Because one day you might get fired, but make sure your resume is ready. 
Are you you all listening to me? See, people like to say, oh, pastors don't preach practical sermons. Here you go. I wish I corrected my mistake. Let's go. Life is lived through seasons. Learn to cultivate preparation and trust. Ladies and gentlemen, Pastor Henry, in, in, in the golf metaphor, I'm going to tee you up. All you got to do is hit the ball. Here we go. When Elijah's story begins, he's in the valley. In the valley is the brook where God provides for him. The next step, God says, go to the widow. She will feed you. But after the widow, guess what comes? Mount Carmel. The reason that Elijah is able to stand on Mount Carmel and be faithful is because God has had his back through the valley. And when he gets to the mountain, Elijah doesn't take the glory to himself. He looks up to the heavens and gives God the glory. Because when you live life, life is about valleys and mountaintops, valleys and mountaintops. And throughout it all, your job is to trust God. And while you trust God, what you must do is prepare. A lot of us don't trust God because we don't prepare. We claim to pray, but we don't pray. We live our lives just hoping things will work out for us, but really, we're not prepared for it. Preparation and trust. Preparation and trust. When the pandemic hit, were you prepared? Or did you have trust? Now that we're on the other side of the pandemic, your job is in trouble because you were a secretary, you were a copywriter. Now I can go to ChatGPT and it will write for me what you were paid to do. Are you ready for that? Mm, I'm done. Here's a disruptive thought. Here's what I was driving towards. What I get from this story about Elijah is simply this. God is your source. Everything else is a resource. Listen to me. Your job is not the source. It's a resource. Your partner is not the source. They're just a resource. Everything that God sends in your life is temporary. He's the only thing that is permanent. And so when God provides for you, that's not a reason for you to turn away from him and turn your back from him. Your assignment is to understand that everything I've got, reality or abundance, comes from God. So your job is to prepare and to trust. To prepare and to trust. Because if you prepare and you trust him, things will always work out in your favor, even if it's not what you planned. Amen, somebody. Whether you are Elijah, sitting at a brook that's about to dry up, or you are the widow, you are on your last dime, your last hope, your last sense of self-worth, you are about to give up everything. I want you to know, it is in your seasons of loneliness that God says, love somebody. It's when you don't have peace around you that God says, live with peace. Be careful what you pray for. Because whatever you pray for, God will always give you the mirror opposite. You want love? He'll send difficult people. You want peace? He'll send difficult people. You want attention and all that kind of stuff. God will starve you until you realize that the thing you need comes from your faithfulness. Amen, brothers and sisters. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Dear Father, thank you that the saints have made it into the building this morning. Some may be on the way. Some have been stuck in traffic. Some came during the service, but Lord, they've received something for them in this season of their life. None of us can stand up and say, I have never had the brooks in my life dry up. 
Everything's been great. But one thing is for certain. Something always dries up. It may not be the money. It may not be the relationships. It could be health. It could be our studies, our grades. It could be anything that we hold valuable and dear to us. That in those seasons when it dries up, it feels as if God doesn't love us. But Lord, I am here to declare, thank you, that when the brook dries up, you always have something else in store for us. Our assignment is to trust you, to prepare for it, and to follow you. And then there are some who understand that God is moving in their lives to give, to be a blessing to somebody else. It doesn't have to be money. It could be forgiveness. It could be attention, parental love. It could be advice. It could be encouragement. It could be a word from the Lord, a prayer, something to motivate and inspire them to keep going. But Lord, because we feel we need those things, we have stopped showing up for other people. But I pray that we will take a page out of this widow's life book and understand that the thing we don't have is what we are capable to give to somebody else. And thank you, God, because when we give from our reality, you always give us access to the abundant. And so I pray for somebody in this room right now that in the process of being disrupted by God, they might be called upon to give to something they may not be sure about. Maybe there's fear because once it's gone, they're afraid nothing will replace it. Maybe it's love for somebody else. They're afraid if I love this person, they will abuse that love. They won't return that love. I pray, Father, that we will trust you to understand that there's no investment in heaven that does not have an ROI. And so I ask you, Father, from the front to the back, from the youngest to the oldest, from the most educated to the least, may we learn the science of living faithful, faith-filled lives. Now I pray that you will be above us to watch over us. May you be beneath us to lift us up when we fall. May you guide us in the way, walking away from dried up brooks to more sustenance. Father, I pray that you will surround us to protect us, that you will walk by our side as a friend, but above all things, that you will be in our hearts so that we can be faithful and faith-filled until the end. If this is your prayer, let me hear you say amen. amen. And amen.